Well, good morning, Timber Creek Church. Uh, I want to welcome you to week one of How to Neighbor. Uh, I also want to say happy Labor Day. I uh, hope you guys are uh, going to have a great weekend. Maybe some of you have Monday off, too. Hope you enjoy Monday. Uh, for those of you watching online, glad that you've joined us. Uh, we're excited about where we are as we get ready to kick off this whole fall. Some cool series coming, cool things. But in order to do that, uh, to do what God's called us to do, we got to be ready. And that's why last couple of weeks we've been in a series called How to Move. And now we're starting How to Neighbor. Now, before I jump in, I want to make a little... Uh, public announcement, okay? Uh, if you're here for the first time or the first time in a long time and you're watching this video, uh, you may all of a sudden be thinking, what in the world is going on, the pastors on video today? Uh, that, that's strange. We've never done it like that before. Well, we've done it here before, and we're actually going to be doing it a whole lot more in other locations. This will become our broadcast location, but God has given us a vision as 90 years old uh, that by the time we turn 100, our vision is to see that we have created community destinations where anyone can find and follow Jesus all throughout the timber country of East Texas, starting with our city right down the street, Nacogdoches. We are launching a second location of Timber Creek Church in Nacogdoches in the very near future. Initially, it was going to be actually next week, September 10th, but because of a couple of locations not working out, uh, we, we have been able to push pause a little bit, and we don't want to birth this baby prematurely, and so we're taking our time, making sure we find the right location. When we have the right location, We'll begin to announce that. We will launch full force and we'll have live worship. And we will have a campus pastor at that church that will pastor those people. We've already hired that pastor. It's Dan and Laura Chanowski. If you haven't had a chance to meet them, they're around the location. You check them out. Uh, they'll be out in the foyer, in the lobby, all around. Uh, they are incredible people, especially if you're coming from Nacogdoches and you want to dip your toe in the water on that second location. You need to meet Dan and Laura. They're going to be incredible campus pastors there. We'll have live worship and, and live pastors and kids ministry and groups and starting point. But the teaching will be virtual teaching about 95% of the time uh, so that one message can go to all of our locations and this, the Lufkin campus, will be our broadcast location. So in the meantime, to prepare for that, we don't just like start. We, we're, our media team is getting better and better at, at filming, our, our media team and the camera shots, and I'm getting better and better at trying to look at the camera like I'm looking at right now. And, and really, I also just want to say this. I want to debunk a couple myths about watching the video today. The truth is this. I want you to know from the bottom of my heart, I have prepared for today just as much as I prepare for any other sermon. Um, if you have ever listened to a song on the radio and it moved your heart, you begin to well up with tears or you heard a sermon on a tape or a CD or on the television and, and you were moved with emotion, it caused you to pray or you say, man, that's good. Well, the same can happen today because God is still moving, God is still alive and he wants to speak to you today. The question is not whether he can use a video. The question is, will you be open to receive what he wants to say to you and to the church this morning? So I invite you to open your heart. If you say, oh, no, no, church ought not to be like, look, you know what? Some of you, some of you, you have bowed your knees in prayer. You have shouted to the most high God in your living room watching a football game on television. I know that you can go there with me on this sermon today, okay? So here's what we're going to do. Before we even get started, everybody in the room all across, I want you to stand up right there. Yeah, just stand right where you are. Everybody stand up. Oh, man, you're looking good. You're in your Labor Day weekend outfits. Oh, yeah, looking sharp, I say it in faith. Here's what I want you to do. Just put your hands on your heart. 
Close your eyes and let's just have a prayer together. Father, the next few moments we have, speak clearly to us that by the time we leave here today, we will say to one another, today I've heard from God. God, if we are stuck, God, if we are stagnant, shake us loose, pull us out, give us a fresh start. We love you, Lord. Thank you for for giving us this opportunity today to hear your word and respond to it. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said amen. Amen, amen. You can be seated. Okay, I want to jump right into the message this morning, and I want to go to the gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 10, in fact, and I want to go to Luke chapter 10, and I want to read this story. It's a very popular story, a very common story in the Bible about the Good Samaritan, but let's, let's jump in now. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus. Uh-oh. I mean, you read that, they stood up to test Jesus. Some of you are like, mm-mm, don't you be testing Jesus. Jesus don't need to be tested, okay? He is not a fourth grader. He, he, he is the son of the living God. You do not test Jesus. However, some of you are testing Jesus. You test Jesus by, by not listening to him. You test Jesus by doing it your own way. And you, you can read the scripture and say, oh, better not be testing Jesus. That's not a good place. But you got to be careful not to be in that place, you know, uh, uh, without even knowing it. So this religious lawyer gets up, who knows the book of the, he knows the Bible, he knows the, the first five books of the Bible, he knows the Torah, and, and he, wants to, he wants to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now his question is flawed at the beginning, because his question says, what should I do? And if you really understand the gospel and you understand Jesus, his message wasn't about what you do to inherit eternal life, it's about what Jesus was going to do. It's what Jesus has done. And it is through the cross and through his sacrifice, all we have to do is believe in his sacrifice, believe that he is the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're saved. That's the ticket to eternal life. But the lawyer's trying to figure out what do I need to do to gain eternal life. So Jesus entertains it, even though it's not the right question. He tries to entertain it, and he goes on and says, Jesus replies, well, what does the law of Moses say? I mean, how do you, how do you read it? Sometimes the Bible says something, but the way you read it is not the way it was meant to be said. And so you interpret it one way, but it's meant to be interpreted another. And so he's saying, hey, what does the law of Moses say? Whether you quote it or not, how do you interpret that or how do you read it? And the religious lawyer says, well, in order to inherit eternal life, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. He's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, which is considered, this statement is considered the great commandment. Earlier in the Gospels, uh, the Pharisees come to Jesus and say, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus quotes this scripture too from Deuteronomy, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, uh, with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And really, over the last two weeks, August 20th, when I started this whole how to move, and then last week with Pastor Talia and Pastor Stephen, and what a beautiful job they did together as we heard stories of movement and how to get involved at Timber Creek Church. Really, that was all, that, that was how to move, the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. That's how we begin to move is it starts with loving the Lord your God with everything. So this religious lawyer knows that that's the great commandment, and that's what he quotes, and then he goes on. So he quotes the great commandment, 
And he adds the second great commandment, which Jesus says is the second greatest, is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. So love God and love people. Do you know that we are doing a great job as a church if we will do this? If we can get you to love God more and love people more, then we're doing okay. Then you're doing okay. If you are loving God more and loving people more, that's the key. And the more you love God, the more you'll obey his commands. It's not about obeying his commands and loving him more. It's loving him more, you'll obey his commands. And you'll figure out how to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so the whole love your neighbor as yourself, how to move was this piece. The loving your neighbor is the series that we've started today, how to neighbor. So uh, Jesus says, yeah, if you do this, you will live. (laughs) I mean, you do this and you've got it. Not just know it, not just think it, not just recite it, not just understand it, not just memorize it. If you do the great commandments, you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, though, because apparently he wasn't loving like he should have been loving God or loving his neighbor like he should have been loving his neighbor because he wanted to justify his actions. And so he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And here Jesus begins a parable. It's a, not a, a true story. It's a symbolic story. Jesus starts telling this parable of the Good Samaritan. So Jesus replies with that story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Keep that in your mind. And he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. Horrible situation. By chance, luckily, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. He he didn't just step over him. He didn't just kind of sneak by. He actually pushed the button of the the stoplight and waited for the crossing sign, crossed all the way over, you know, four lanes of traffic, and he crosses over and walks by on the other side. Didn't want to have anything to do with him. And this guy's a priest. Verse 32, a temple assistant, which is also called a Levite, so someone who worked in the church, worked in the temple, walked over and looked at him lying there, and he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan, who was like the lowest of the low, if the Jews were listening to the story, the Jews around this religious lawyer would have went, boo, hiss, no, forget the Samaritans, they stink, they're like the Green Bay Packers, yeah, boo. Anyway, the despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine, and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, which were two, it's like two days of wages, telling him, hey, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now Jesus finishes up the story. Which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, basically that's who your neighbor is. Now go and do the same. Our responsibility as Christ followers is to hear the word, 
and then respond to it. To not just think it, to not just consider it, to not just memorize it, but to know it, hear it, and do it. So as we break down this story of the Good Samaritan, I want to offer a few thoughts. Take, take your worship guide right there, and there's some fill-in-the-blanks. I want to fill these in very quickly. Uh, but before we even fill in a blank, you may want to write this statement down. You may want to write it down. It's not in your notes there. No one ever improves their quality of life by walking away from Jesus. We pick up this parable, and this guy is walking from Jerusalem down to Jericho. There's some symbolism here that you need to understand. Number one, uh, Jerusalem to Jericho is a 17-mile walk. It's several thousand feet drop in elevation. 17 miles, several thousand feet drop to elevation. Jerusalem is like the city of lights, the city of David, God's city, okay? It is a city of blessing. Jericho, pagan city, bless, uh, a city of cursing, uh, a city that, that the walls crumbled and it was destroyed as the Israelites went into the promised land. It was the very first city they destroyed. There was a negative connotation to Jericho. And here we see in the story that some guy is on his way from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He's walking the wrong way. If you're going to be walking in life, you don't want to go from Jerusalem to Jericho. You actually want to make your way up to Jerusalem. And the truth is there's some in your family and there's some in this church, uh, all of us at one point, where maybe we drifted. And we were at a spot of blessing. You were at a spot where things were going well. You were trusting God. You, you, you were putting him first in your life. And you drifted. You stepped away. You began a descent to a place you didn't want to be. And I want to say to you, any time you, you walk away from a, li a life centered in Christ, you are inviting trouble to your doorstep. I've never had a counseling session. I've never had a conversation. I've never had any kind of talk with anybody that's ever said, you know, I was serving Jesus with all my heart, my strength, my soul, and my mind, and then I started just kind of doing my own thing, and everything started getting a lot better. Nobody's ever had that conversation with me. It's always, uh, I was serving God, and when I stopped, things began to crumble. In fact, if you're on that path, the devil is a roaring lion. He, 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 he paces looking for who he's going to devour. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. Just like the robbers, the bandits in the story, the enemy is out for blood. The enemy, the devil, is out to strip you naked, to leave you in the ditch, to leave you stolen from, uh, destroyed, miserable. And, and, and what are we going to do as a church? How do we respond as a church when we, on our daily walk, pass by people that are hurting? When people that, that need Jesus, that they are in our zip codes, how do we respond to those people? Well, we begin to continue on in the story, and we see that there are three guys just minding their own business, and it shows us how to respond as men and women of God and as the church, Timber Creek, okay? So the first one we see is the priest. The priest is the Bible scholar of the day. He can quote the scriptures. He can break down theology. He knows the seven dispensations. He can understand the Torah. He can quote it to you forwards and backwards. I mean, the guy knows scripture. But when it comes to knowing it and doing it, it's two different things. In fact, we write it down. We must be a church of doers, not just doers knowers. 
I want you to know the scripture. I want you to know God. I want you to read. I want you to pray. I want you to seek the face of God. The more and more you fall in love with Jesus, the more you follow him. But you can't just know. You've got to do. And the priest, the pastor, he knows what to do, but he doesn't do it because he's got, who knows, he may have a Bible study he had to get to. He may have been too busy with with all the other Christian stuff he had going on. And sometimes we can be so busy with the good stuff in our life that we miss opportunity to do what God has called us to do. In fact, write it down. We can't be so focused on godly things that we miss God's agenda. God has an agenda for you. Seek after the agenda of God Every day, when you wake up and you pull your, your, your feet out of the bed, thank you, Jesus, what do you have for me today to do? Not just know, but to do. So the story says, don't, don't be a, a knower and not a doer. That's a dangerous place to be. Then we get to the Levite, who we, when we read that, it said the temple assistant. So this guy's involved in church activities, okay? This guy, is, he's a, he, he, he helps in starting point. Okay, if you're a helper in starting point, if you're a dream teamer in starting point, I'm not talking about you. <laughs> or am I? <laughs> no, we'll see. The Levite, he also passes by. And so obviously Jesus is trying to communicate something here that it's not about <laughs> having a dream team shirt. It's not about graduating starting point. It's not about sitting in a theater seat inside the sanctuary of Timber Creek Church because you can miss the responsibility and be right in the middle of temple assistance. So the Levite here, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's busy with church work just like the priest. And I don't know what he says. Maybe he says something like, there's nothing I can do. He, he, he sees the situation. He doesn't have any kind of medical history. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't know how to bandage a wound. He, 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 he uh, doesn't have a donkey to carry him with, and he just... He passes by. There's nothing I can do. I hope somebody helps him. Maybe that's the next thing he says. Maybe he says, someone should do something. Somebody ought to do something. <laughs> you know, I've shared this story before, but it's worth repeating that years ago in my hometown, Wichita, Kansas, at a gas station just a couple miles down the road from where I lived when I lived in Wichita, a woman was stabbed in the parking lot and she stumbled into the gas station and she fell in front of the cash register. And there were three individuals inside the gas station, including the clerk. And she was saying, help me, help me, help me. And frankly, nobody helped her. Nobody helped her. In fact, uh, the news station, K-A-K-E, Cake News, reported, and it reported, and it showed it showed um, the surveillance camera, and it shows, this was back in the day with flip phones. We didn't have our iPhones or, or Androids or anything. It was a flip phone. Somebody was stepped over her and took a picture of her and walked out and did nothing. Finally, somebody had a common sense to call the ambulance, picked her up, and took her, but she died on the way to the hospital. That night, the chief of police uh, gave a statement, did a little, you know, he, uh, uh, a little question and answer with some news outlets, and he said, had somebody just done something, there was no reason that her wounds should have been uh, fatal. 
She could have survived had somebody just done something. Wow. And that's my hometown. That's a couple miles from where I used to live. That's embarrassing. But yet I wonder how often, it's not a fatality issue, a tragic issue like that, but it's, it's something that we definitely do where we, we just kind of look and say somebody ought to do something. Listen, that's you. You're the somebody. Let's do this together. Let's not be the temple assistant, busy with temple stuff, but not willing to actually do what we're supposed to do. Maybe she said, maybe the, the Levite said, this is out of my comfort zone. This is out of my comfort zone. You know, can I say something to you? Uh, some of you, you don't serve anywhere. Whether it's the local church or the community, where you don't serve because maybe it's out of your comfort zone. But serving isn't supposed to be just in your comfort zone. Do you know that, that there's a lot of servers that they're going to serve you queso today at, at some kind of, you know, taco shop? And, and, and it's not like their comfort zone just to wait on you hand and foot, but they're doing it because they got to make a paycheck. They got to survive, you know. Um, we get out of our comfort zone, and we're supposed to do what we're supposed to do, and God's calling us to live outside of our comfort zone. But you feel, you, you feel awkward serving, you feel awkward taking a step. And can I just say to you, there was nothing comfortable about the crucifixion. Jesus was crucified. It was an uncomfortable situation. He sweat droplets of blood having to deal with just the pressure of what that was going to bring to his reality in the next 24 hours as he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. But he still chose to be uncomfortable because it was the right thing to do. And see, uh, I would say this to you. After Jesus dies on the cross, is resurrected, before he ascends into heaven, he says to the disciples, he says, hey, I'm sending you a comforter. I'm sending you a gift, a comforter, the Holy Spirit. So write this down in your notes. Why would Jesus send the Holy Spirit and call him the comforter if he never expected us to be uncomfortable? <laughs> Some of you, you, you need more of the Holy Spirit but you're just comfortable. And maybe if you'll step out and get a little uncomfortable, you'll find that he's going to give you all that you need. And yet there are some of you also that you're, you're uncomfortable right now. In a hurt financially, relationally, spiritually, there's a habit you have that's holding you back and you want to so desperately get rid of it. Jesus doesn't want you to live in that discomfort. He sent the help of the Holy Spirit to guide you and be with you and comfort you. But you got to lean into that. In fact, I feel led just right where you are. Just close your eyes. I just want to pray for you. Jesus, for those that are uncomfortable in the room, that they're, they're hurting, may your Holy Spirit comfort them. And by comforting them, may they then trust you enough to step out in other discomfort areas, other uncomfortable areas, so that they will gain more of your spirit and more of your strength as they walk by your spirit and not by the flesh. In Jesus' name, amen. God's calling us to an, a comfortably uncomfortable, spirit-empowered, spirit-reliant life in him. We get to the hero of the story, which the hero is actually a zero in Jewish culture because Samaritans were, were uh, families that married, uh, it was Jewish, Jewish families that kind of separated from Jewish faith, and they married pagans. 
okay? Jews didn't marry the Jews. Jews married pagans, and those that, that uh, race, if you will, that, that combination uh, became the Samaritans. And the Samaritans had a little bit of temple worship that kind of looked like the God of Israel, but then they had other worship that had to do with, you know, uh, 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 false gods and, and idols and sacrifices to, to different gods. And, and so it was a mixture. And so the Jews just they didn't, they, didn't like, they, they didn't like the Samaritans. There was a prejudice. There was a racism against the Samaritans. And so Jesus is very specifically using a Samaritan to out their prejudice, to out their racism, to show them that the neighbors aren't the people that look like you. Neighbors aren't people that get along with you. Neighbors aren't the people of your same color. Neighbors aren't the people that just believe the same way you believe. Neighbors just aren't the people in the same economic class. Neighbors are neighbors are neighbors. Neighbors are people that breathe. If you have someone who's human and they're breathing, they're a neighbor, no matter what color, no matter what background, no matter what political preference. And can I just say something to you? This is a beautifully diverse church. All kinds of different ethnicities, all kinds of different backgrounds. We got rich people in this church, and we got some poor people in this church. And you know where you stand. And some of you, we have some people that act rich but are poor, and some people that act poor and are rich. I mean, it's just like the whole deal. But here's the deal. Every single one of you are a neighbor to each other. It's the beautiful thing. And if a racially diverse, ethnically diverse church bothers you, I can just say you're going to be miserable here. You are going to be unhappy here. And that's a good thing. You better be unhappy. You better be unhappy and then change that and understand that heaven is racially diverse. Heaven is going to be all kinds of different people. And so Jesus is showing us the value of who our neighbor is, that it might be someone you never even expected. Not just the person behind the fence, but the person that believes a whole different thing you do. They're still your neighbor. And so we, we see the good Samaritan. And the good Samaritan is the least likely, we would think the priest would help. We think the Levite would help. But the good Samaritan, in fact, write it down. God is in the business of using the least likely. Jesus used fishermen and tax collectors and prostitutes to, to get close to him. And he shared the gospel with them. And then he left the gospel in their hands. And 2,000 plus years later, we're still talking about Jesus because he used dysfunctional, least likely kind of people. Because that's who we are. We're just the least likely. And he loves to use us. In fact, he came from the least likely, a pregnant teenage girl who says she conceived the Son of God through the Holy Spirit. And she gives birth to the Son of God in a barn and puts him in a manger. Like, what about least likely? Yet Jesus identifies with the least likely. <laughs> because he's not just looking for angels. He's looking for those that are stripped down, beat up, half naked in the ditch, and he uses the least likely to reach them. The good Samaritan got involved. Three ways he got involved. Number one, he got involved spiritually. The Bible says he soothed, he soothed him with oil and wine. And because it's a parable, there's symbolism in that oil and wine. Oil representing the Holy Spirit. Wine representing the blood of Jesus. And, and, and he poured in the right components into this person's life. He soothed him with the right things. And, and God wants the Holy Spirit to soothe your issue. 
And he wants us as a church to provide the Holy Spirit, to show people the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus that that's access to healing through him. That's access to guidance and comfort through his spirit. But you know what? He was involved spiritually, and you and I can be involved spiritually. You know the best way to be involved spiritually at Timber Creek Church? Pray. I mean, pray over those people that are hurting. Pray over the vision of the church. Pray over what God is doing next. If you want to know about how to pray over the church, you want to be a part of a prayer team, number one, every first Sunday, in fact, it happened this Sunday at 8.30 to 8.55 on the first Sunday of the month in our chapel, we have a 25-minute corporate prayer time over the rest of the month. Then we give emails out and we send the information out on what to be praying for. We have prayer breakfast three times a year. If you want to know more about that, take your Connect card and make a little note on the back of it and give it to the Next Steps kiosk out in the lobby. We want to make sure you're praying. We want to see this church praying over lost people, hurting people, over the Nacogdoches campus, over the vision of the church. And, and, and here's what the Bible says in Isaiah 62. Uh, Isaiah says this, the prophet, about prayer. Oh, Jerusalem, I've posted watchmen on your walls. They will pray day and night continually. But, but watch what else he says. Take no rest, all you who pray to the Lord. Give the Lord no rest until he completes his work, until he makes Jerusalem the pride of the earth. Look at that. Give the Lord no rest. Like, bother the Lord with your prayers. Give him no rest. Keep him up at night praying for your loved ones. Keep him up at night. Give him no rest until you see your family come to Christ. Give him no rest until you've completely given all your burdens to him. Give him no rest until you've called your children by name to him daily. Give him no rest. Look, I love rest. I love to rest. I don't want my kids to wake me up prematurely. I don't want my kids to keep me up at night. When my kids were small, we would put them down. We would go to bed. Jan and I just want to watch a little TV, just want to talk to each other, just want to kiss each other a little bit, just mwah, mwah, mwah. And we might just be sitting there watching a little TV show or getting ready to close our eyes and go to sleep. And out of the other room, I hear my son go, Dad, I'm thirsty. Can I get a drink of water? And I'm like, No. I'm in bed. Swallow your saliva. You know, that's how me as an earthly father wants to respond to my son. But as sons and daughters of God, when we, when we pray out, you will not catch him asleep. You will not catch him tired. He does not fatigue. He is a good God that stays up. And I'm saying to you, give him no rest over the prayers of Timber Creek Church and lost people and hurting people. Give him no rest. And that's the way you get involved spiritually into the lifeblood of Timber Creek and into God's commission and commandment of loving him and loving their neighbor. Number two, he got involved, the Good Samaritan, physically. Let me just say it this way. Nobody gets a gold star for sitting in a chair at church on Sunday morning. Nobody gets a gold star just by showing up and parking the car. He got involved physically. If you have not been in starting point and you've been here for a while, that's next. Jump in. You are missing a huge piece of the kingdom of God and the blessings of God if you're not involved physically. You're, you're, you're just going to miss it. You're going to miss it. Jump in. There are so many. If you've gotten through starting point and you weren't able to find a place to serve and you just kind of just kind of got back into just sitting, sitting, can I just say something to you? That may be our fault. We, maybe we didn't help you good enough. 
And if that's the case, we apologize. Please forgive us. That, that's a waste. That We, we don't want to waste your gifts. And, and so if it's our fault, we apologize. We want to help you get plugged in at Timber Creek Church. So talk to someone outside in the lobby today about getting plugged in if you've already gone through starting point. But if you've gone through starting point, but you say, ah, you know, I don't really want to serve. No, 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 no. Don't miss out on the blessings of God that only come when we serve people. The Samaritan got involved physically. Number three, he got involved financially. Uh Uh-oh. Pump the brakes. Pastor going to be talking about finances. He got involved financially. I knew this church, a big old church, it was going to come down to money. I knew they are just all after my money. I saw, you know, people get funny when you talk about money. It is what it is. You know, that's just the way it is. But as I've said many, many times, um, if you think the church is all about your money, you got us confused with Budweiser. Budweiser, Coors Light, Home Depot, Old Navy, and Marble Slab Creamery, can I get an amen, are after your money. After your money. We're after something for you, not from you. And here's what I would say. Let me just say this as a pastor to you, okay? Like, if, if I found a great movie... I would say, oh, you need to go watch this movie in the theater. It's so good. It's worth, it's worth the price of a movie ticket. If I, if I um, found a great steak, I would say, you've got to go to this nice steakhouse. Yeah, it's a little pricey, but it's worth it. You've got to go. If I found a cool this or that or the other, I would have no problem, and you would have no problem with me saying, you need to spend your money on that. It is worth it. So as your pastor, I'm just going to say, You will never regret sowing financially into the kingdom of God. It is a worthwhile investment. It will never return void. It is the right thing for your finances because at the end of the day, it's not even your finances. It's the right thing as a steward of God's finances that he funnels through you that you would put his kingdom first. And if you've never started, you've never never tried to give, I I invite you, become a consistent giver. Jump in somewhere. Think about the kingdom of God when you do your budget. If for those of you who want to even take a next step beyond consistent giving, try the tithe challenge. There's a 90-day tithe challenge card in your seat back pocket. For, for, for 90 days, trust God and give him 10% of your resources through the local church. If you do that and you sign that covenant agreement, if you try it for 90 days and you feel like God didn't show up, you put him to the test and he doesn't prove himself, we will give you every single cent back that you gave over that 90 days. Now, why do we do that? Is that a guarantee from us? No, it's a guarantee from God. He says, put me to the test at this. Trust me and see if I don't show up in your life. I have had countless story upon story upon story come out of people that took the tithe challenge and God just shows up. That may be your next step to get involved financially today. I'm not going to twist your arm to do it. I'm not going to look over your shoulder. I'm on a video for crying out loud. I can't look over your shoulder. Nobody else is going to look over your shoulder. But I will tell you that you will never regret putting God. You will regret that extra donut. You will regret that extra slice of pizza. You will regret that abs, you know, uh, shocker 3,000. You will never regret sowing into the kingdom of God. So I want us to make a declaration today. I want us to do this. I want us to, to do it, to step beyond where we are. If you're already serving, man, get even more excited about serving and invite someone. Some of you need to shoulder tap somebody else. You're on a dream team right now. You need to shoulder tap somebody and say, hey, are you on a dream team? Join me on a dream team. I haven't been through starting point yet. Hey, man, go through starting point. Join me on a dream team. Some of you need to step up and do it because as we do this together, We follow what the Lord has called us 
to do. So here's what we do. Write them down. Number one, I want you to declare this. I want to declare this. I will engage a sense of urgency. As a church, it is not about Sunday to Sunday. We got people to reach. We got a gospel to preach. We got an East Texas to see transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. We got stuff to do. We got lost people hurting and dying every single day that, that don't have a, 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 a solid presentation of the gospel of Jesus that they can hang on to and receive. And we, we need to help them with that. Because heaven is real and so is hell. Don't let anybody try and erase the reality of eternal separation from God. It is a reality. But eternal heaven is also a reality. And we want to invite people into that reality. Life is short. We have to have a sense of urgency. Number two, I will not stay idle. Don't just, don't just stay on the sidelines. The apostle Paul says, we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle. So let me be this warning to you. Whoop, whoop. Don't stay idle. Don't just be okay with, with church on Sunday. Don't be just okay with church every other month. You know, truth be told, church attendance trends are changing radically across the world, across the United States in particular, where people say, hey, I'm committed to church, and they come once every six weeks. You're not, your kids, especially if you have kids, your kids are not going to get the spiritual development and partnership that you need as a parent if you're only in church every six weeks or every four weeks or every three weeks. You've got to have consistency. Don't stay idle. Number three. I'll engage a sense of urgency. I won't stay idle, and I will own my zone of opportunity. Everybody say, own my zone. <laughs> Pretty good. One more time. Own my zone. Own my zone. Okay. You got to own your zone of opportunity because opportunity will come and go. You've got to take advantage of the opportunity we have to serve while there's still time. Do not look back at it when 2018 shows up and say, I never quite did what I was supposed to do in 2017. I want to finish with this little story, and then we'll pray. Um, I grew up in Kansas, and Kansas is known as the wheat state. Uh, Texas is the Lone Star state, right? Um, Texas is the center of the universe, in, in many people's opinions. Uh, and Kansas is not the center of the universe. It's the center of the United States. But it, it is the bread bowl of the world, okay? So it's like majority of bread is created from the wheat that is harvested in Kansas. My dad travels all across the state of Kansas, and he shared this story with me that one day he was with a pastor friend who was a bivocational pastor, meaning that he uh, was a pastor and he also had an, another full-time job. And his full-time job was farming. He owned a farm. And he would harvest wheat. And my dad one time uh, was on a trip, and he knew that John was uh, out harvesting. And so he joined him one early morning in the combine, the big machine that pulls in the grain, and it separates it from uh, the wheat from the chaff or the wheat from the rest of the stalk. And it shoots the stalk back out, and it contains all the grain, and then you're able to take it into the silo. My dad was riding with John in the combine, and they're taking it slow one early morning. The sun is rising, and they're taking in that grain. 
and my dad looks across the road, and there across the road he sees in another field several combines all stacked together, and they're all bringing in all kinds of grain, like at the speed, uh, uh, like just at an unreasonable speed, just like literally zoom, blowing and going. And so they are receive, they're receiving all that grain, and John and my dad are just like one little track at a time. My dad said, hey, John, why don't you hire these other guys to like, you know, <laughs> uh, do this for you. It'd save a whole lot of time. And here's what John said. Here's how I'll, here's, here's what I want to wrap up with. John said to my dad, Terry, those guys, they come in and out super fast. They just, they just blow in blow out and they tend to leave a lot more grain in the field than they even get into the trucks they don't care about the grain like I do I own this grain and I don't want to leave it out in the field I want to receive all the grain that I can and so because I own it I take better care of it and so here's the story here's the illustration for you and for me Jesus is the master of the harvest he's the lord of the harvest he owns all the grain and you and I are the harvest you know as a church God is not concerned about all the grain you bring into the silo he's more concerned about the grain we leave out in the field the stripped down beaten up hurting those that are at the bottom down and outers and up and outers but spiritually they're hurting and they're wounded Jesus wants us to care about the grain to care about the harvest to care about those that matter deeply to him and so I invite you I invite you to be the kind of, of, of men and women that care as sons and daughters of God care about the harvest <laughs> care about the grain Let's not be all satisfied with, with us three and it'll be us four and no more. Us five, at least we're alive. No, let's care more about what's left out there because that's God's heart to see all come into the kingdom. That's why we're called to love our neighbor. Let's pray. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Jesus. Everybody sitting. Amen.